Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So we got Cassidy Dixon here today on the Iron Sights podcast. Uh, Cassidy and I have crossed paths in the uh, a few years back. We'll talk a little bit about that. But she's a CrossFit Games athlete. She's also owner or co-owner of uh, Salt Lake City CrossFit in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's uh, most notably probably a new, right now being a nutrition coach. She helps all type, different types of people in all walks of life. That includes athletes and sort of the lifestyle component of, of things as well. Um, she actually was a Olympic weightlifting national champion. Uh, so she's pretty much a, a badass in the, in the gym and we'll probably cover a little bit of that today, but uh, fearless entrepreneur and the host of the be unstoppable podcast. So Cassidy, thanks so much for being here today. Wow. That was a great intro. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. Well, it's easy to do. I mean, there's, there's so much um, depth, I think, and richness in the things that you've done. And let's, I'm going to be honest, it's been a short period. You're a young person. It's not like you're, you're an old person like me. So you've, <laughs> you've got, you've got a lot accomplished in a short period of time. Um, and I was just, we were just sort of talking off air. I actually became aware of you through the CrossFit world and just kind of being a spectator. I was never into CrossFit. People that know me know I, I, I never was an athlete. I never competed and I never really trained that modality much. Um, but I was fascinated by the level of athletes that came out of there and the level of fitness that came out of there. And it, it, a respect, still respected to this day, it is a different animal. And you were highly competitive there, no? Yeah, yeah. I definitely had my time in the competitive world of CrossFit. Um, I feel it now. My body's a little busted up now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had some fun with it. I competed with my team, Salt Lake City CrossFit, the games in 2017 and 2018. Um, and then before that had qualified for regionals as an individual and with my team, um, like six different times. So I definitely had like a, a pretty decent season with CrossFit. Yeah. But it didn't start there for you. I mean, if we, 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 we go back, there's, um, there's a, there's a, like most athletes that get to that, that level, there's a, there's a beginnings, right? There's kind of some roots oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you, you have some, um, and our, and, and that includes, some weightlifting, which we already mentioned, but also includes some gymnastics, which is such a huge part of the CrossFit, the CrossFit world. It seems to me sometimes it's maybe a little bit less of it now, uh, of the, of the, the gymnastics piece, but having that as a base, uh, obviously puts you way in front of any athlete trying to jump in who just happens to be strong and have a great yeah. motor engine or, or so forth. Um, 100%. Yeah. But so, so before we get into that, the, the, the experience that I've had with you personally and professionally is through the Nutritional Coaching Institute. And we actually hosted a nutrition cert out here at Red Dot Fitness in San Jose. Um, I, we're going back to 2018 now. And yeah. it wasn't a massive group. It, it, I think the, the cert sort of came together quickly. But what was great about that, just in kind of the connection piece here, was the, the key nutrition team um, was out during that time. So we had like two really solid teams in the studio at one time and you were, you were presenting then and uh, Brad Jensen's team 
So just yes. in terms of name, name dropping, who's got an awesome podcast himself and a, a crazy business and they're, they're local. They're right there in Salt Lake. Yeah. Right? They're like 15 minutes away from here. They're really close. And to, to kind of take it one step further, that kind of went on to you even mentoring some of our coaches uh, yes. that, that we've had both previously and even in even present day over the years. So uh, yeah, while- that group was by far my favorite from, like you said, we just had a great dynamic with key and then your team and then NCI's team and then some randoms kind of thrown in there, but that yeah. was a great group. Yeah, I agree. There was uh there was some good challenging questions coming out. I mean, those, those, those sessions or those, those certifications are always a good, a good time anyway. I mean, there's, there's a lot of energy and, and, uh, and passion, but, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, we were challenging one another a little bit there. It was, <laughs> it was a fun I time. Know. I remember telling Jason being like, These, this group's asking like pretty advanced questions for a level yeah. one. He's like, yeah, I know it kicks ass. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had some, some coaches in there, some, some more newbie, less veteran coaches that were absolutely like after day one going, I don't even know why I'm here. Like who, <laughs> I'm, I'm but the second day and then the ongoing mentorship changed everything. Yeah. Right, so you just yeah. got, they, they got through it. But again, great energy. I remember the energy that you brought to the table and uh, always appreciated that. And you bring it to everything you do. Um, so again, uh, it's great to have you on today. And I was just wondering, hopefully you could kind of take us through your journey as an athlete, because it is a big part of who you are and what you've done. It isn't who you are, but it's a big part of it. Yeah. Maybe you could talk us talk to us about your history and, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it all started when I was really young, when I was like five. I was just a wild child crawling all over the place, kicking up in handstands on my mom's walls. Um, and finally, she was like, you're crazy. You need to get rid of some energy. I'm going to enroll you in gymnastics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and th- I mean, from there, I advanced pretty quickly. Um, I'm a pretty like hot, like strong, just kind of naturally strong. Like I've had like biceps and like big muscly legs since I was little, it's just kind of like my body type. So I, I I advanced pretty quickly in gymnastics, um, competed all through basically from when I was five until I was 15, um, and just competed. I loved it, uh, grew a lot, uh, and like built a lot of confidence through that too. I love, I've always been kind of a shy ish person, um, a little bit more introverted, but competing, like if you put me out on the competition floor and the same thing kind of happened with me with CrossFit and weightlifting, like I was a different person. I just zoned out and it helped me build a lot of confidence that through that time, I, I definitely needed. I mean, I think all children and young teenagers need that outlet or that chance to kind of show up and be someone who you won't, aren't always are, I guess. So that was kind of, you know, gymnastics took up a lot of my time. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm five, six, so I wasn't going far in gymnastics. Let's be honest. Yeah. You're, you're, you're <laughs> a, you're a beast, you know, in terms of height, like you're an, like an albatross, I guess, in the world of gymnastics. So they barely break five feet anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I was like a powerhouse. I was really good at tumbling and vault. Um, but you know, the, like everything else, I was just a little tall for. So at the age of 16, it was like right when I was able to drive, actually. Um, I think just having that little bit of independence um, and just kind of realizing what I wanted to be working on, what my goals were, and really where I was at. Like I, I decided to leave gymnastics and I kind of had this huge 
gap to fill. I had this huge hole in my time, in my activity, in my energy that I was like, well, what do I do now? So, I mean, cause I, when I had quit gymnastics at that point, I was training like five hours a day, like Monday through Friday, um, five days a week, like five hours a day, just training my ass off. And so I had all of this time to fill. So I just kind of became a gym rat, like a globo gym rat. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. Honestly, I didn't know. I just knew when I quit gymnastics, I wanted to get as skinny as possible. I was tired of my muscles. I was tired of this body. You know, it wasn't helping me with performance anymore. And I just, I wanted to get skinny. So, so, so bad Mm. that it was just like my goal. And I was also terrified to be in the gym by myself, um, in like the big areas. So I would always hide in the corner in like the women's section. And, um, eventually, eventually got a personal trainer that really kind of helped me gain some confidence. But even when I left the global gym, I was still too afraid to work out in the main area of the gym, Mm. (laughs) in the global gym, which is kind of a funny thing to think about. Um, but you know, back then my relationship, when I, when I quit gymnastics, I was fueling my body back then and food definitely didn't bug me too much. I was just happy to perform and eat and, you know, and I was pretty lean and I don't know, like it, it didn't really affect me back then. But like I said, when I quit gymnastics, my whole world kind of flipped upside down. So hold on, time out for a second. So just with the quitting of gymnastics, this is just a personal choice in your 16 year old or 15 year old brain of, you know what? I think I'm done here. I want to do something else or were there injuries or things that precipitated this where you were frustrated? What happened? Yeah, that's a good question. So I had followed a coach from my original gym that I had started at when I was young to a different gym. And the dynamic there was just really different. It wasn't as, I don't want to say competitive, but I, I guess that's kind of how it was. I didn't have a lot of challenge. I didn't have a lot of push. We were just kind of goofing off and we were there for a long time and working out, but the dynamic just wasn't there. Um, you know, and I, I still wish, and I know my mom tried to convince me to try another Mm. gymnastics Academy before I quit. Mm. I wish I would have given it another gym before I just ripped the bandit off and just said, no, I'm done. Right. But I think I was already pretty checked out. And at the age of 16, you know, I, I just, that wasn't something I was focused on at that point. Yeah. As a dad, I can tell you like that is a very slippery slope, you know, in terms of pushing, you know, like, well, you're going to regret this. Well, shut up, dad. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, I I hate you. You know, what would you know? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, how, how much do you push? How much do you try to encourage? It's, that's a hard place to be. I will be honest as a parent. And I don't know if your, your mom felt this way, but there were, so my, my daughter, my, the oldest, she's 19 now, but she grew up and played soccer until about exactly that age, about 15. Yeah. And there was an injury that took her out of the, out of the sport that she really couldn't recover from and went through a very similar process of kind of trying to find herself. Like, what am I going to do here? I have all this time. My social group was soccer. My, you know, my weekends were taken up with soccer and yeah. uh, going back to me being a dad, it was kind of taken away from me too, because when she decided not to do it anymore, you know, for her own reasons, that was, you know, her, her mom and I had gone through a divorce. And so there were some rough times in there anyway. And as a 15 year old, you know, or a dad of a 15 year old daughter, you're trying to connect in whatever way you can. And yeah. so there were soccer tournaments on the weekends and I pretty much took her to everything, you know? And so we would spend those weekends together and, 
and long weekends, road trips, hotel rooms, you know, dinners, breakfast, lunches, that the wins, the losses, and the you know when that when that got taken away or when she stopped, I felt like it was it was taken away from us, and so I lost a part of our relationship that it was a big deal. So hard for a parent, I think probably, but at the same time, what was I going to do? Like, no, you're going to soccer. She, she she was done. She, she she was done. So um, mentally checked out already. She's like, Nope. Totally. And and discovering all kinds of new things in this, all this time that she had. Uh, So you're doing that. Interesting. So you're, you're finding time in the gym and, Probably before you're you're eating and you're feeling your body a because you got four or five hour workouts, but b you're not even thinking about it. You're hungry. Yeah, so yeah, I was. <laughs> and you're staying in great shape, I'm sure. So now right. the game has changed. Now you're trying to kind of find your way around the gym, and maybe you need more calories, maybe you need less calories. But I heard what you said there, which is you just want to be skinny because yeah, that's what you're supposed to be. Right. That was the only goal, and I mm-hmm. I'm sure. It had a lot to do with back then just being at that age where that's what you want. Like that's, you see other girls that are a certain way or on social media or, uh, you know, magazines or whatever. And I just wanted to be skinny. I mean, and not to mention, like I said, my body, I've I've had biceps my entire life and like these giant thunder thighs, right? Like big muscly legs, um, through my whole childhood, childhood, like my sister's friends, because she's five years older than me, mm-hmm. they would like pay me a dollar to like flex them. <laughs> Everywhere we'd go, people would be like, "Oh, cool, arm wrestle this girl." Yeah. Like I was definitely, I had, I had a lot of attention for what my body looked like as a gymnast, and even afterward, that it started to kind of seem like it was negative attention to me. Mm-hmm. Like I was slowly becoming embarrassed of what that was. And whenever anyone would comment on my muscles, like I just wanted so badly to become skinny and get rid of that, which is so crazy to say now, but it was definitely, I was obsessed with it back then. Yeah. I mean, cause your physique, your physique now and over the years has been phenomenal. I mean, people look at you and go, I want biceps. Like I want biceps like you got, you know, for God's (laughs) sakes. Uh, so what's again, the, the whole body image, self image, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. How should I look? Um, it's just a tough time for, for for kids, male and female, but particularly I know from the female perspective. And by the way, girls are not nice to one another. I'm just going to say. Girls are savages. Savages. I mean, the, the meanest, <laughs> most horrific, hurtful, divisive uh, shit I've ever heard yeah. just comes out of these teenage girls' mouths. And when I was a kid, there was no social media. So there was, you, you heard it first person or through a note or again, third person on the at lunch or on the playground yeah. or whatever at school yeah. or in between classes. But now it's just a constant, incessant, you know, comparison of this or that. And it's awful. So, yeah, I know uh, my, my stepson is 10, my niece is 15 and my nephew is 16. And it like breaks my heart. It sh- shatters me to see some of the stuff that they have to deal with on social media and like kids these days create like fake accounts and just like talk shit to someone. It's just like insane how mean people are. And because they have so much confidence behind these damn keyboards, but I'm glad I didn't have to deal with social media like that. But here's then. the deal. Like, is it, so the question I have for you, you know, now looking back and you, know, you have nieces and nephews to kind of, kind of relate to, is it really any different than it was or is it just more amplified than it was and more intense than it was? Cause I feel like it's the same shit. It's just yeah. coming out and, in a different format. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's any 
different. Um, if anything, I feel like maybe it's more frequent now, but it's maybe a less of a hard hit because it is done through social media or through text messages or through things like that. Whereas back then, like back then air quotes for like right. you or me, it was a little bit more direct where it was either hearsay, maybe a note pass, maybe someone just straight up seeing it to your face, but that shit hurts just a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more personal. <laughs> so as you're dealing with all that as a kid, right. And you're trying to find your way around the gym. I heard you say you hired a personal trainer and that changed your mindset. Um, a good change looking back, a, a, a bad change. Like talk to us about that mindset shift and what was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, and you know, this is kind of the experience I had when I hired a nutrition coach as well was, um, well, she helped me with my nutrition, but my relationship with food kind of like is like was a wave back then. So it was really low. I found this trainer. She gave me just guidance and permission, basically. And that is all I think I've ever needed in the fitness and nutrition world is just permission and almost like reassurance, like, hey, you're doing OK. You're doing the things you need to be doing. You're like you're not messing things up it's okay. Um, and she kind of did that with me. She just, she held my hand through helping me understand. I was honestly that person that I was like, I don't want to bulk up. I don't want to bulk up. So she helped me understand that process and how that wasn't going to happen. I did have a certain body type. Um, here's the exercises. Here's what they're for. Here's how often you need to do them. Here's how you can implement cardio without being obsessed about it. Right. Cause I was in that mindset before where, I was so obsessed with good food versus bad food versus mm. did I work out enough today? Right. Do I need to do a hundred burpees after dinner? Mm. Um, you know, just like really obsessive patterns that ultimately kind of broke me down. My mom witnessed it, um, broke her heart, obviously, because I was struggling so much, just trying to get my shit together with it. So finding that trainer was really, um, it was great. She was kind of just like this little angel who helped me through a really difficult time and different, like just struggle with my exercise and my nutrition and just basically gave me the, okay. She was like, you're doing okay. You, you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to do more workouts. You don't need to eat less and gave me guidance. And that was kind of my stepping stone after gymnastics. That's really where I you know, we, we implemented like a, I wanted a body fat goal. So we implemented that we worked towards that in a very healthy way. Mm. Um, and then I eventually was able to learn how to do it all on my own and transition out and feel really confident in what I was doing and still have some really healthy habits. Um, I didn't really ever take any steps back with that, but when I started CrossFit, my whole world kind of flipped upside down, changes everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause now I was feeling for performance again versus a kickboxing class at the gym. Right. So that was a whole new world for me. <laughs> what what a fortunate experience you had on that, on the coaching end of things. Cause we don't hear that very often. I mean, unfortunately, to be honest, what we wind up hearing and seeing is the, the person that goes into a situation where they need exactly what you just described. And instead they're getting meal plan templates and yeah. cardio prescription and, you know, there's a, it's three months, you're going to lose this much body fat and we're, 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 we're doing things like refeeds and, and talking about, you know, cuts and mini cuts and mini bulks or whatever, two months into a program right. when we, we, you need what exa- exactly what you got, which is, again, unfortunately, I think it's, it's less common. It's becoming more common as coaching is getting a little bit better and 
credit to you for the things that you're doing with coaches to make that happen. But um, that's that's phenomenal. So you've got some you got some great coaching and you've got some healthy habits and you just alluded to that. Then CrossFit finds its way into the mix. How does that happen? Yeah. So someone actually bought me like a group on, <laughs> they were like, Oh shit. Okay. You, yeah. Right. Uh, they're like, I think you love CrossFit. You have a gymnastics background. You love all of this crazy shit. Like go try CrossFit. Didn't and see that I, coming I was... Cassidy. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> group on. A group on. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? Um, and cause it was one of those things. Uh, so I hate running and that was the one thing that this person kept telling me. They're like, yeah, we had this workout. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And they're like, well, we ran and then we did deadlifts. And I'm like, nope, I'm fucking out. Like <laughs> I did not want to run. Um, still not a strength of mine to this day, but I started, I tried a class and when you start CrossFit, I, I mean, every gym does it a little different, but they have a baseline. So yep. they just have a workout with like push-ups, rowing, pull-ups, air squats that you do as your baseline. Uh, um, and a lot of the times it can be like your first tester workout to see if you like CrossFit. Anyways, I remember I went in and, um, for my first group on class and I did the baseline and I finished it. I did like all strict pull-ups. Um, it, it just like, I crushed you it, killed it and I finished. Yeah. I finished it. And they're like, uh, okay. And I was like, <laughs> can I try that one more time and try to beat that time? And they're like, who is this chick? Right. Like what, what is happening? So I did it again. Um, and then the rest is history. I, I ended wow. up moving gyms to something a little closer to me and then moving gyms again to be on a competitive team. But um, that's kind of where it started, which is kind of funny to think about. So, so yeah, so it's full throttle, full speed ahead right away. And I'm, I might add um, Utah, particularly Salt Lake city is full of athletes. Uh, I've lived in I've lived in a lot of places in my in my life, particularly here in California, and specific spots in both northern and southern California that are chock full of competitive athletes, whether it be CrossFitters, triathletes, bodybuilders, you name it. They tend to glom into one area. They challenge one another, and, and so forth. And Salt Lake City, Utah, in general, is full of them. So you walking into a gym and smashing it like that certainly is putting you at the higher percentile of of a of athletes. And I'm sure if you're shocking people there, it's maybe a little bit different than shocking someplace, somebody someplace else. <laughs> so, so now you have this, like you're accelerated into this thing. And when, what year was this? Because obviously CrossFit went through a massive, like acceleration of uh, popularity and growth and also competitiveness uh, because of the growth, there was that many more athletes and that many more contests or, or, you know, meets and regional contests and so forth. So where was this in time? So this was when I eventually went to the gym, which was like the next week that was closer to my house. It was like spring of 2012 okay. um, because it was right during the open. I was like, what are they doing? This stuff's crazy. I didn't do the open that year. Um, I finished out the rest of the year and then did the open the following year in 2013 and went to regionals with Salt Lake City Cross. Got it. Got it. So, and I think in that between that time, I did a couple of local competitions and just kind of like got a taste of it. And I was like, let's go. It was time. And then after that, it was like 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 regionals and then games at the tail end of that. So when does the when does the business of CrossFit start for you? Uh, you know, in, in all of this, I mean, how do you transition? And then when does it start? We'll maybe talk about how you kept it balanced because you've always owned a 
been a business owner, right, and a and an athlete too. So, when is when is the business of CrossFit, you know, come into play for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So, luckily, I was able to join in on Salt Lake City CrossFit. Okay, uh, Justin. Yeah, I met Justin in 2012 when I moved to the gym. That's where we met. Okay. Um, and he had opened SLC CrossFit in 2008. He was like. Aside from CrossFit 801, Miranda Olderoid and like Wasatch CrossFit, we were. Those are the beginnings. First. Yeah, yeah. Those are the beginnings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we are, we've been there early, early on. Um, and I started like, as Justin and I got more serious over the years, I started to take on more and more responsibility with the gym. Um, you know, to be completely honest through the time I was competing, I didn't have a lot of involvement with the gym. I didn't have time. Um, I was working at the, at a, at a coffee shop. And then for, for Jason at that time too. Um, so I didn't have a ton of involvement at the gym aside from just programming the workouts and taking care of that. Okay. Okay. So you, so you just kind of talked about the, well, there was this, there's these aspects you are working and you, we've already passed the time that you started nutrition coaching. Um, so I guess maybe we should take a couple steps back. So you're competing, you're having a feel for performance, which is entirely different than what you'd been doing for a little while. What was happening? When did you recognize, let's just say, what was happening with nutrition as it related to CrossFit and what are the things you were discovering or ignoring or, you know, (laughs) trying to battle with or whatever else during that time? Yeah. So when I moved on from the personal trainer, Michelle, that I had worked with back in the day, you know, I, like I said, I left with some healthy habits and I knew how to basically build a good plate, have like consistent meals and and focus on food quality, right? That's really all I needed with what I was doing in the gym. Um, Those habits definitely carried over and helped me. But as I progressed in my skill with CrossFit and I could increase my intensity and my weight and my strength, um, you know, the more my body was getting beat up. So I somehow survived from 2012 when I started CrossFit until like 2014 without really much structure with my nutrition. It was still just kind of carrying over those habits. And a big thing in CrossFit back then was paleo. Paleo, Um, right. Yes, yes. And so the hard part without paleo or with paleo is that, you know, like, you know, basically most of your carbs are coming from sweet potatoes or rice. If you are really naughty with paleo and And not very much of it and not very much of it. So, um, it was super high fat, pretty low carb. And with CrossFit being like primarily glycolytic, I was, I I slowly deteriorated. (laughs) Well, I'd venture to say with, with quite a bit of confidence, actually, a lot of the athletes at that time were like, and, and what you were watching again, as a, as a spectator in a sort of a closet fan to some extent, um, what you were watching was the top athletes coming back year after year and looking seemingly like they were in the best shape of their life. So but jacked. Jacked. I mean, and a part of <laughs> yeah. it was, is like, you got to show up to the, to the games ripped. Cause if you don't, yeah. like, you're just not going to, you know, there's photos just, you know, it was like the social media thing was going crazy, but that was just kind of part of the culture at the time. But what you were watching is the performance levels were dropping and the injury yeah. levels were starting to come up. And so people were getting wrecked. They were, there was no longevity in the sport for a lot of those athletes. However, there were some that whether, cause they were genetic freaks and, or they, they really got a handle on their nutrition and their training protocols, recovery protocols. 
they were competing or they were, sorry, excelling and continuing. thriving. Thriving and market differences. I mean, people were, there were some dominant, dominant people just like that person's a freak. There's, but but there was more to it than that. It was that maybe they had adopted the paleo lifestyle, but at the same time recognized that it had its flaws for what they were doing and made some adjustments. So for sure there's the back then, I feel like there was a very small percentage of athletes that were truly thriving with their nutrition and their performance. Um, I mean, in the last podcast I did with Justin, that is one of the things we talked about when he went individual at regionals, Mm -hmm. I talked about how he felt with his paleo diet competing and it has so, and it's not paleo paleo is great for the right demographic. It's just Mm -hmm. like for CrossFitters, high level, like competitors, it's so hard to get enough food. Right. And, and it might be okay to say like for the general uh, hobbyist that CrossFits, paleo could be perfect. Yeah. If absolutely. you're not, if you're not training four hours a day, six days a week and, yep. you know, going, you know, balls to the wall for lack of a better term uh, in, into the competition world, it might be the best one for you. But from a competitive perspective, yeah, it's probably not the, not the best idea. And, and right. not maybe not for everybody. Again, it's never an absolute, but uh, okay. There's definitely always those people where you're like, how in the world have you gotten away with this for so long? Like sometimes I bring on new clients and I'm like, what is actually going on? Like, how have you been managing this? So so what was it for you? What, where did, at what point did you get to? You're like, I need some help here. I need to revisit this uh, and get a coach. I mean, were there, did the things manifest that we just said? I mean, were there injuries? Was there drops in performance? Was there, what was going on? Um, a little bit of everything, honestly. So in 2014, that was a big year for me because we had just competed as a team at regionals in like late spring, maybe early summer. Um, and, and we always did okay as a team back in those days, we were learning a lot and we had new teammates coming in all the time. So your holes weren't really like exposed too much if you had a big hole as an athlete. Um, but that year we had an event at regionals that was a heavy hang snatch. And somehow I found out I was amazing at snatching and a coach I had set, like I was, I took like second in the world, um, for that event. Cause they had it as an individual and a team event. And I Wait, think I had hold, like, hang tight. So in CrossFit <laughs> games, you take second in the world. On a, uh, on a, well, as a regional level, but it was just the event only. So like in a regional weekend, they have like two or three events a day Mm -hmm. in that event. Like I always loved the strength events, of course. Um, but that event in particular, it was like a max, um, max weight hang snatch. And I think the top score was like 203 and I hit 200. Um, Actually, I would have totally beat it. But my teammate at the time, and we still give him shit about this, like to this day, oh, he no. loaded my bar unevenly. Oh no. Yes. Oh, no, no, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> I know. I know. And it is funny. Well, it wasn't funny back then. I was pissed, but he's kind of like a showboater too. So like he finished his snatch, dropped it. He was like, yeah, like arms up, like celebrating. And I was like, dude, fix my weight. Cause they like you're on a, you're on a timer like, right in front of you yeah and we're on a timer and he totally fucked up my weight oh um, my god this I guy know. <laughs> <laughs> this guy no <laughs> but so yeah that year i killed that event and kind of got some attention for that and i actually had a weightlifting coach reach out to me and say hey um mm-hmm. you kicked ass like do you want to come compete for a team this year 
And I was like, you know, I'm not really into this weightlifting thing. It's fun, but you know, CrossFit is where my heart's at. He's like, just try it out. We'll fly you out to DC. We'll train with you. We'll do some stuff. Mm. Um, Justin saw it as a good opportunity to learn some stuff about weightlifting. And I was like, okay, so we had to do, I had to qualify first, which that was really easy with the qualifying numbers. Um, and nationals that year, I didn't mention that was in Salt Lake. So it was really hard to say no to, I was Uh, like, I, what do I have to lose? Moon, sun and stars are lining up for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I went out to DC a couple of different times, trains, got ready for nationals. Um, the time finally rolls around and, uh, actually the morning of nationals, my dog died. I had to put my first dog down and it was devastating. Um, and I just went into nationals. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do it. And I ended up winning nationals. Like long story short, I won nationals. I took, I think first in my snatch third in my clean and jerk and third, um, for my total. And I just like first, yeah, first in my total and just crushed it. So, um, that was a really crazy experience because, you know, I I just wasn't, it was emotional as it was so emotional because my whole family was there, Mm. my mom, my grandma. And also we, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know anything about weightlifting. I was just going to say like, what a, what an insane, like, uh, again, it's like, who is this person? Like she's coming in here and probably crushing other girl's dreams out there. You know, she walks in off the street and she's setting, she's setting national records. Uh, what a, and again, like with relative ease, yeah. So it sounds like, yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're literally crushing it. Um, and you're surprising yourself and everybody else. So there's kind of a, yeah. so there's a double whammy there for sure. It was, yeah, it was a crazy experience. Um, I still see the pictures to this day and I, it brings back a lot of emotions just with my dog and just everyone coming together and being mm-hmm. like, you got this, let's just head down, do your thing. Um, and obviously I still believe that my dog trick at that time had everything to do with me winning. Uh, of course. Of course. Did. Yeah. Um, so you're, so this is extra training on top of the training. So now yes. you're, so you've now this is increased, where things were compounding. Right. So you're, you're increasing volume, you're increasing intensity, you're decreasing probably your rest time. Yes. You're still trying to compete with the team. Uh, there's the gym and the stuff that you're trying to do there. I think you said a coffee shop in there. You're, you're juggling yep. all this stuff, right? So yeah. When is there time to eat and pay attention to you know, what's supposed to be going into your body to get you through all this stuff. Right. So after winning nationals, um, my teammate at the time had started working with a nutrition coach and he was like, this is, this is awesome. Cause he was kind of going down a different route. Um, he's like, you gotta, you gotta talk to this guy. Like he'll help you. I know you're recovering like shit. I was, ha- I was having some gnarly injuries between my back and my elbow. Okay. Um, I was just kind of falling apart and just recovery was really, really bad for me. I was having a hard time sleeping. My appetite was low. Just like, uh, obviously now as a coach, just like all, red flags. All the stuff. All the stuff's happening. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, so I finally reached out to this guy that my teammate had mentioned. He's like, talk to him. Um, and it happens to be Jason Phillips. So get on a phone call with Jason Phillips. He basically, here's my story. Here's, I just went to regionals one nationals. And he's like, you are an effing wreck. Like, I'm not even going to charge you. I just want to help you. Mm. So he brings me on. (laughs) Yeah. He brings me on as a client, um, and teaches me 
everything I need to know about fueling as an athlete now, which was the big difference, like between what I had learned to where I was then. Um, and from there, you know, it took me a long time. I had to reverse up. So I, I think when I went to him, I was around like maybe 14, 50 my calories. Yeah. Holy it was pretty God. Low. Jesus. It was low. Yeah. Wow. Um, so he reversed me all the way up to like at least 2,300 calories by the time we finished. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah. Body composition completely changed, um, improved quite a bit for me. And uh, I mean, the rest was just kind of history. I, I learned how to fuel for regionals and competing and just normal training days. And then obviously that carried over to how you're feeling for something like the games where you have three or four events packed into yeah. an eight hour time frame with eating and resting and downtime and all of that. So well, you just provided some context there. I want to be, I always like to, I think context is kind of the major missing piece and people taking away and their takeaways from stuff like this. So yeah. you're talking about, again, all the, the, types of workouts and the recovery periods and things like that. But what we didn't talk about is give some context to the 1500, 14, 1500 and the 2300 calories with regard to like your weight and, and the things that you were doing. Cause yeah, yeah. people can't just pull these numbers out of thin air. Like you were at 1450, which was effectively way under eating. So you were <laughs> that was like, yeah, you were both yeah. under trained and under recovered and now mm-hmm. you've got to reverse it up. Right. So now you're at the 2400 Compare that to kind of now that you're not competing. Do you count calories? I, so with my current journey, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit, um, I just recently started counting calories and using an app again, just because now I need to fuel my body for something completely different, different. which is (laughs) going full circle these days. Um, So yeah, like now I would say that I haven't paid attention to that, you know, um, my, my calorie needs now are way lower than they've Mm -hmm. needed to be in the past. Um, I mean, now I try to shoot for like right around 2000 to 2150. Yeah. But still you're way above 1500. Yes. And you're not even competing. Right. So again, context, that's, that's where I was trying to go with that. Well, and like that 1450 to 1500 mark, like I was barely breaking my BMR, like, yeah, you know, so like just to keep my body working and moving and breathing and supporting my organs. Like I was barely eating enough for that. So when you add in the activity of working out the way that you work out and with CrossFit, um, it's obviously a little bit more demanding. Um, yeah, I really had to bridge that gap. So when I'm, when I said reverse diet, I mean like slowly in, you know, this, but for your listeners, like slowly added calories, like through that process. So we didn't go from 1450 to 2300 overnight. It probably took three or four months for me back then, um, to slowly see that change because my body would have responded like shit. Had I just thrown that many calories on there, almost 900 calories. Yeah. I was just going to say, so you're talking about a deficit of eight to 900 calories over, I think you said two to four months or something like that. So it's a, it's a daily, weekly journey to the next, to the next amount. So you're talking about adding what, maybe 150 to 200 calories or less yeah. uh, a week over time and kind of seeing, okay, how are we doing? Like how, and there's a balance there of macros obviously and, and doing yeah. it, the, doing it the right way, but it's a, it's a, you have to play the long game, right? It's totally. And so what's happening with your body during this time is you're reversing up. Yeah. Well, and I, I responded really well to the reverse, um, which I was lucky because for a lot of people that like 
put that much um, stress on their body from under eating and overtraining for so long, it takes a little bit longer to reverse out. I mean, we've had clients that whether you're chronically dieting or yo-yo dieting or just eating really, really low calories where sometimes your reverse diet can take over a year. So I really had lucked out with how much my body appreciated just some food. Um, and like pretty quickly I was recovering better. My mood was better. My sleep started to improve. Like, and of course those are the unsexy things, right? That's what happens first, but that that's the stuff that I was like, Holy shit, this is kind of like game changing. My weight started to come down just slightly. It, It fluctuated maybe three or four pounds during that time. Um, cause I was finally fueling it and recovering and getting rid of some of that inflammation and that stress. And, um, my appetite was suddenly ravenous, like, Mm. and that was great. Like, that's a big piece of biofeedback that I even look with my clients, like to make sure that we're, we're making the good moves and, um, your body's responding the right ways that you're just not shoving food into your body and being like, figure it out. Like we made sure that my appetite was responding as we were increasing food, which is a huge thing for me, especially, um, with everything I had dealt with in the past with food, I felt like I had just regained control over my diet. And I was like, well, shit, I have to do this again. And so there was that overlap too, where I was really afraid to eat more. And I was afraid to compromise body composition, to eat more calories and, you know, want to look like a games athlete still. So there was that whole mix of things that went into it. But at the end of the day, um, obviously performance wise and, I think mentally it was a really good change for me. Yeah. So I, you touched on so many things there Ath, CrossFit athlete or not the reverse process or reverse dieting process is, is it is a huge part of the nutrition coaching game and protocol, depending on how you've assessed your client and where they're at. You don't have to be a, an athlete to go through a reverse diet. It could be, it's oh yeah, it's obviously. So, you know, it's for anybody and I'm, this is obvious to you, but for the listeners, this is for anybody that has been severely under eating uh, for a, a long period of time and for months to years, uh, not just weeks to months. And the process that you mentioned responding well and the biofeedback coming back with like, I'm sleeping better, I'm feeling better, my mood's improved, my appetite's starting to go up, I'm starting to recover a little bit better, digestion's good. These are all the great things that can happen with a reverse diet. And we, we tend to look at those as these are the positives. And as a coach, you're going, yes, I love this kind of client yeah. because their body is responding that way. And because that drives compliance and all the things that the good stuff, the fun stuff, the, the success stuff. But maybe just as a coach, talk about what are some of the other things that do happen to reverse diet when you are playing the long game that a that somebody should look out for, be prepared for. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great point to bring up because you have two different types of clients when you reverse diet. And it's usually the client like I was where you have all of this amazing feedback right away. But like I said, I really lucked out that the, the time that I spent in a deficit and performing and having that high stress, that it didn't affect me as much as it could have. Mm. Um, I was pretty resilient with coming back with that. The other type of client is typically the client that has under eaten or has done some pretty extreme caloric deficits. Like the the thing we've been seeing lately with our clients, like people coming in that have been doing keto Keto. for a long time 
and just uh, like eating a really, really super right. deficit. Yes. So, um, you know, sometimes when you start to increase food through your, your reverse diet, it is normal to see the scale start to come up slightly. Sometimes you have to gain a little bit of weight before you reach your maintenance or your homeostasis or your happy place with your weight. Um, and that's completely normal. Right. If you are seeing a lot of weight in a short amount of time, then you're, you might be reversing a little bit too fast. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we've definitely seen clients maybe get scared off from a reverse diet because it's happened with another coach. Uh, but it really just takes, and that's why it's so important through a reverse diet that you have a coach to kind of have these conversations with and talk about like, what's normal. Are we moving things too fast? My appetite's shit. Like, you know, like mm. all these little things that we can offset or keep our eye on and know specifically on an individual level, what is best for you and which direction we need to go and how slow we need to go. Cause that's the biggest thing with reverse dieting. There's no every 10 days add a hundred calories. Right. That would be great. I wish there was an algorithm for that, but there's just not. Right. <laughs> The fat would be falling off people and people would be feeling so much better if yeah. it was, you know, this, the, the one size fits all approach like that. Um, I, I mean, I love where this conversation is going is you're, you're going through reverse. There's the recovery diet perspective too, which I'm sure you explored as you were reversing out and you got to your maintenance calories. And then, you know, you're going to maybe a period of competition where you, you may be dialing back the calories a little bit or increasing the calories a little bit and yeah. then going through what, what we refer to as, as a recovery diet. Maybe you can outline for us, for the, for listeners sort of difference between reverse versus recovery. Cause there's, there's some very distinct differences. For sure. There. Yeah. Yeah. So recovery for, for me at that time, um, I think by the time I reversed out, it actually kind of worked out perfectly because we were getting ready for the open and that was a five week long period um, we go through that and that's where we want to kind of be peaked. And then we come down re we recover after the open and then we go back up for regionals. And then if you're making it to the games, you come back down and then you ramp back up. So that periodization is really important. Um, but periodization isn't just for athletes. It's for general population as well. I mean, it's again, the people that we've seen that are coming to us in super low deficits forever that have just been dieting since they were 21. Um, like mm -hmm you, they, I guess the recovery phase is about letting your body reach like your, your TDEE or your total daily energy, energy expenditure, your maintenance calories, and just letting it be stress-free and happy and healthy there. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times that means like a pound or two coming up on the scale or exactly what it says is just maintaining. And there's right. nothing wrong with that. I have, especially this time of year, I have so many of my clients in maintenance during summer when mm -hmm. everyone's traveling or camping or eating out and barbecuing and shit like that. Like we, that's usually where periodization is with general pop is like, where, where do you need a little bit of a break? Like, let's loosen the, <laughs> let's loosen things up a little bit. Um, so recovery for, for me back then calories were definitely up. Um, and fats were up for me and carbs mm -hmm. were down a little bit because my training was down. Yep. Um, so the demand, for, the demand for the glycolytic system or energy system is just not there. Right. So now you are shifting to maybe more what would be paleo-esque yeah. in, in a sense, correct? Yeah, Yeah. Oh. absolutely. Yep. Um, for a general pop person or even just your normal class goer, just gym goer, I would say recovery would probably be similar to that where fats can kind of start to come up a little bit. Uh, probably right around that, like, I mean, 
again, like just context, not saying anyone should just implement this and stick right. to it, but usually that 30% or higher mark is a pretty good safe place for most people to be with their fat intake, um, of their total calories mm. for recovery. Uh, if not higher, right. Some people Which sounds insane. Probably that probably sounds insane to a lot of people. Like, wait a minute, how much yeah. did you say? 30, 30, what? Like yeah. it sounds in, like an insane amount of fat. If you're eating keto, maybe not. But if you haven't been eating keto and now you're shifting again, lower your carbohydrates and taking your fats up, that just sounds like an insane amount of fat. But it's right. also, it's just less volume of food. Yes. Right? That's the best part about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at least for, for me back then, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that, that was one of the most challenging parts at the peak was like eating as much food as you needed. Uh, so it was always welcomed to be like, yes, I will have 300 calories in olive oil and not eat a thousand grams of rice or whatever, you know, like just right. having that break from food volume was nice. So you just, you, that conversation went a, a, a couple of different directions. And I love where you mentioned the period or the periodization piece, which is probably often one of the most overlooked pieces of any program, be it fitness or nutrition or business for that matter, in terms of looking at things maybe seasonally and where you put your foot on the gas and maybe where you pull pull off a little bit. Um, you mentioned the summertime kind of being one of those places where you just like to, if we can prepare and we think about this longer term, uh, most people want to, let's be honest, most people want to look a little bit better naked you know, or in, their sw- <laughs> yep. in their swimming suit period, but yep. particularly at the summertime and you work hard to get there. And then, you know, there's the, yeah, you mentioned it. There's barbecues and there's drinking beers and, you know, cocktails and whatever else. And there's having boats, a good time. All that right, boats. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come out the other side and now you're working into the, uh, in, into more of the fall months, if you will. When do you find like there's another period of time where you might find it's a good idea for people to relax on their, on their diet a little bit, like from an annual perspective? I would, I mean? Yeah. 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 I would definitely say, I mean, obviously, tail end of November into the holidays. Um, and it doesn't have to be balls to the wall where we're like, no macros, let's go crazy. Enjoy all your parties. But it's just more of like, Hey, let's have a little bit more flexibility through this time. Um, I mean, it's also like mindset wise, I have a lot of clients that want to keep things real tight and not like F up through the holidays and stuff. But when they, when I allow that, they just beat themselves up when they go to the party and they can, can't stick to their two drink limit or no desserts or things like that. So it's just more about setting realistic goals and kind of just, I always have my clients zoom out for the whole year and look at like, where can we tighten things up? Where can we loosen things up? And like, what are your goals? Right. Right. So usually if we take the, the tail end months of summer, like let's just say August, September, um, loosen things up. Maybe let someone go into their maintenance or like maybe we're even reversing them up, how, uh-huh. whatever that looks like for that client. Um, it leaves you a pretty solid, like eight to 12 weeks between the end of summer, like saying that's maybe middle of August to middle of September yep. or take, um, to tighten things up before Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. gain some confidence, get, in a good groove. And then we can loosen things up again for another right. six weeks mm-hmm. before the winter rolls in and it's January 1st and everyone's ready to go again. Right. And it's all part of the plan, right? Yeah. It's, all, it's all, it's all part of the plan and you're not making yourself miserable doing it. It, it doesn't right. mean, it doesn't mean you're not tracking or, you know, being, being mindful of what you're doing uh, yeah. 
And I think it's important for people that are maybe thinking about getting a nutrition coach or how this might fit into their, to their life. The purpose of having the coach is to help guide you through this process. And that doesn't mean they just sign off on your bullshit because you went to two parties in a row and had, <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. overate your calories by double in a couple of in on the Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday football game, you yeah. know, kind of, kind of thing. But it, it, there is a there's a, a time and place for that and it can be programmed in and it can be perfectly fine you know to, yeah. to, to do that so um again the periodization piece being such a huge part of your long-term success i think people kind of look at it as as well you know periodization looks more like contest dieting right You're, yeah. you know i have i have 12 or 16 weeks to diet down and be shredded for the bathing suit or the swimsuit on stage or the summer vacation or the Mexico trip or whatever it is. And then it stops like, and then no, the periodization periodization (laughs) keeps on going. Right. I mean, there has to be a, you have to come out of that. Otherwise you're just in this, this vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, Well, and it makes your body so resilient too, like from the vacation or from the show or from whatever, like if implement periodization, it really makes your body resilient. I mean, we've all know or follow someone who maybe has done a bodybuilding show and things just like go south quickly right. after the, the show where you're like, whoa, okay, have it like, well, yeah. out, the, out the window. <laughs> right. Right. So it's like, that is an example of no periodization where you don't have to stay you know, super rigid. There's that phase where we're slowly increasing calories, but that's where your body bounces back. That's where your body thrives is, like the feeding, the fueling, like being in control of that. Right. And no matter what you, what sort of, I, I don't know what you may subscribe to in terms of the evolutionary process and how that plays in. And from a, you know um, you know, from an ancestral type of history that, you know, that we've had as a human body, it's never the same all the time. There's always challenges. There's always stresses. There's always ups and downs. There's different, there's availability of foods at different times and so forth. Yeah. It all plays into what we what you just discussed at, at de, in detail. We've just modernized it in in a way to where we've where we can control it a little bit more. But more importantly, we can plan it and yeah. and kind of kind of see the future. Again, it's such an important piece of nutrition coaching. When I went when we're going back to your story, um, you know, initially of how you got connected with the personal trainer who was helping you with nutrition. That sounds like it was sort of part of it. Right. Unknown, maybe not knowing you didn't really realize it at the time, but there were these other components because you can calculate out all the macros, you know, the, the, you can annualize the year, you know, in terms of what you're going to do with all the, the reverse dieting and the cuts and the, you know, the, the, this and the, that and the refeeds. But at the end of the day, you just mentioned it, like you're going into these periods where it's hard, it's tough or again, it's not a one size fits all. So in terms of your approach to coaching clients through these things um, and coaching coaches to coach clients through these things, obviously mindset being such a huge, a huge piece of it. How do you preset the table, so to speak on uh, to, to get somebody ready for this and prepare them for when they just don't have the bandwidth, you know, to, to keep up or, you know, they're just, they're at that party and they're, you know, they lost it, you know, or, you know, they just, right. they lost, they lost control and they did something they didn't want to do. Didn't make them a bad person, but they, they overate or whatever, whatever happened. How do you, how do you preset the table and how do you, how do you coach a client to do that? Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that there's really a way to prepare someone for that. I can have a three hour long conversation with a client and help them understand all the things that could happen 
that might not happen, that will happen. And they're just so stoked because they're working with a coach now and they're changing their life. They're changing their habits. They've got this cool thing that they're working on now and they don't hear any of that. They just think that they're motivated. Nothing's going to get in their way. Nothing's going to stop them. Mm -hmm. They're going to be, you know, able to shut anything down or whatever. They're just committed. Right. So, you know, I don't know that I could prepare anyone mentally for that early on, but I, I will say conversations after a weekend out on the boat or a weekend camping, or when they really feel like they've just messed up and they've eaten a whole thing of crumble cookies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- I think the bigger part of that is just having the ability to relate to them. And I've walked a mile in their shoes. I know what they're feeling. I know what they want to do, which is go, run 10 miles, do a hundred pushups mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, Punish and, themselves. And yes, yeah. I know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Clients want to pull calories all the time after a weekend like that. And I think just getting them to refocus and focus on the things that they can control, let go of the past, not feel any guilt or shame associated with food um, and solely work on habits to understand what happened. You know, where was the mindfulness of that? Uh, there was nothing wrong with the food that they ate. It wasn't good or bad or too much or too little, but like, where was the breakdown in their thought process? You know, where did it shut off? And you went into like YOLO, I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want to, you know? So there's a, I think it's more about helping them become self-aware, um, of those thoughts and to be able to take responsibility and take control Mm -hmm. back of those thoughts and those actions and how all of that comes together. Yeah, it's a great, great point. And you know, on that, again, that awareness piece. So here's a question for you. And I think this, it's, it's always a hot one with, especially with new clients, because they might be willing, they're, they're either, there's one or two things. They're either like, yes, I'm going to do that. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Cassidy. Just, you know, if you want me to track, I'm going to track. Or they tell you, I don't want to fucking track my calories. <laughs> so, yeah. when, so when to track and when not to track? Yeah, so... <laughs> That's actually funny that you asked that because I've been thinking about that a lot lately because macros are not a new thing anymore. There's a lot of people that come to us and they're like, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to track. And, you know, while we are fully on board with that, like we can start with the plate building approach, um, but it really comes down to where they currently are at, what level of food awareness they have, what level of maybe discipline they even have and how big their goals are. Um, sometimes that's not an option. If you were to come to me and you're like, Cassidy, uh, like I already eat healthy. I, I know I eat carbs, protein, fat and fiber every meal. And, you know, I'm pretty aware of my calories. We look at a couple of food logs. You're right where you need to be. You're like, I want to lose weight, but I don't want to track. Um, you, you probably have the awareness, but not everyone out there is going to where we would have to start is tracking, (laughs) you know, like with the weight loss goal, we track, um, if you just are here for like health and longevity and just to get your shit together, then we can certainly, we have a million tools we can implement to get you there. But big goals typically mean big commitments, which is going to be weighing and measuring and tracking. I actually have non-negotiables when people want to cut and lose Mm. weight and it's your steps, like your neat, um, tracking everything that you eat and uh, being honest with us about your check-ins. <laughs> yeah, those are my non-negotiables. I'm like, you stick to these, and we can go into a cut. But we're good. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I it's, I love that. Like, he, so the client has to have their non-negotiables, right? And the and the coach has to has their, have theirs, and yeah. they have to they have to respect one another on what those are. And 
and uh, and keep their commitments to those. Uh, yeah. So the, taking it a one step further, or maybe another layer deeper, then is we talked about sort of awareness, tracking the importance of to give both client and uh, and coach awareness, right, and at least a starting point or something mm-hmm. to work with, you know, a base or foundation. Let's talk about the concept of intuitive eating as it relates to tracking or having that consistency. Thoughts on intuitive eating? Um, actually, one of my episodes just dropped today that is all about oh, nice. intuitive eating, which is kind of funny. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of intuitive eating, but again, like I, I would say, like with discipline comes freedom because yep. intuitively, I would love to sit down and have Oreos and ice cream for dinner, <laughs> like. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? Like intuitively, my body's like, yeah, that sounds great. But you also have to intuitively know that that's not what's going to be fueling your body Mm -hmm. or your goals or your health. Um, And I think that that's the, you have to be in a really good place mentally with food before you can commit and be successful with intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a couple pieces to that, like understanding that intuitive eating is, it's basically the anti-diet. So it's not necessarily good food or bad food or too much or too little. It's honoring your hunger and it's also honoring your fullness. So it's all of these things that have to kind of play into with each other and just kind of go full circle for you to be successful with intuitive eating. Yeah. I really feel like there's obviously there's a personal formula for everybody. There isn't a one size fits all. We've already sort of talked about that, but the the intuitive eating piece to me, I have a tough time having the conversation with somebody about the intuitive eating without a baseline, without a long standing, you know, experience, you know, personal experience with eating at least one way. Right. So it, yep. it because then it can become intuitive that there's a relationship to it. There's a, I have a, a, a sense to it because I've had experience with this and I've done this for a long time. So whether it was healthy or unhealthy, like it, there was consistency to, to it. And so you can relate back to that versus the all over the place every time adopting some new eating diet type or, you know, behavior right. or something to fulfill some short term or short lived emotional goal or, or whatever else. But I, I don't want to track my calories and I just want to eat when I feel good and I know what I should be eating. So, you know, that's the way I want to approach this. It puts the coach in a really tough position uh, to, to help a person make maybe adjustments or it, just to even give them guidance because uh, it's so vague, right? Yeah, it's definitely hard to, I have a good handful of clients right now that are intuitive eating. Um, it's, it's hard, but it's not impossible right. to make changes. I think it's harder on the coach's end to feel like you are mm-hmm. delivering enough value. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, the biggest things we cover is like, you know, I, I cover a lot of like their habits, like, are they still, what does their veggie intake look like? Has their food quality changed? How's their timing? Are they having energy dips? Um, you know, like things like that, that really, are going to make intuitive eating successful Um, because intuitive eating for some people can be under eating, right? Like if I intuitively eat and that's why I started tracking again with my new journey is because I tend to under eat if I intuitively eat. Um, And so, but also intuitive eating on another end for some people can be overeating. Sometimes it's just eating the wrong shit, right? So like that awareness piece is huge and you do have to have that foundation where you start somewhere and you have some level of awareness with 
what, what is in what basically how much protein is this? What is this amount of carbs and how does this fat fit into this plate and things like that? It's, it's just important to have that awareness. Yeah. So again, the awareness and the, the, the having that relationship with your coach in order that the coach has to be very upfront, right? They have Mm -hmm. to be very honest. And again, there's the non-negotiable piece that you're, you talked about there, but there has to be this, this, yeah, this high level of awareness period on both ends. And then, you know, I, I find as a coach when, when clients want to eat more intuitively, it means I feel as a coach that I need to be more connected to them uh, and, and doing more, more check-ins. And as a result, I think it defaults that way because I feel like clients, because you're, you're trying to coach them through those processes. It's not like, Hey, let's set this kind of goal. We're going to check in in you know, a few days it's, Hey, I'm doing this right now. This has felt really good. Or I did this yesterday and they're wanting to kind of tell you about it. Yeah. Um, so, so you have to be prepared for that as a coach that if you're going to go down that path with somebody, it often means there's more contact. There is more back and forth. At least that's what I've found. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, I've experienced it both ways where they either feel like they're failing or they, they mm. actually learn that they don't like the intuitive eating pro- approach because they feel a little bit more out of control or on the other end, they're like celebrating every little win, which is yeah. cool for them because they're like kicking ass without having to put everything into my fitness pal. Mm. So it's cool. It's it's, there's a cool dynamic, um, but it's definitely more prevalent these days for people to want to shift into intuitive eating, which is kind of a cool trend to see. Yeah, uh, I think it it shows that people have maybe a little bit more confidence or at least are showing that they feel like they know what the right things are to do with them. And that and feeling that way, having that emotional confidence is important uh, in terms of that long, both short and long term success, especially again, when we talked about when it when it gets hard, when they fall down, you know, yeah. and they have to get up. So I just get that from you, too. You know, Cassidy, like you've been through all these experiences and had all these things. Where does this confidence come from? I mean, you go, but you said you like when I, you know, when I was competing in, in gymnastics and, you know, when I, you, you mentioned the, um, uh, the, the introvert kind of side of you, where does the, where's the confidence in all of this come from? How do you, where does, was it, were you born with it? <laughs> do you have it all the time or is this a, you know? Oh, that's funny that you say that. I, I honestly probably would never consider myself to be a confident person. Um, but I, I would say that I'm a passionate person, um, because I love helping people. And if it means like, I'm probably my most confident self when I'm in this kind of setting where I'm talking about this kind of stuff and helping people, I'm like able to, I mean, like same with the competition floor, like get out there and do my thing. And, um, I, I think that everything that I've done, that's been hard in my life, uh, between like or going way back between like starting CrossFit, even uh, working for Jason, like when I became a coach, when I became the director of the mentorship, even my position now with NCI, uh, when I applied for the coffee shop, when I was doing stuff at the gym, everything that I've done and I've been successful with, I have been scared shitless before and I had mm. zero confidence going into it. Um, but it was just kind of like putting in the work and just putting my head down and being like, what do I have to lose? and being good at it and just working until I was good enough to, to feel confident in it. Working hard, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's so funny to say that, but I guess almost just proving myself wrong too, like being afraid to do something, not thinking I could do it and then crushing it has helped me 
build a lot of confidence in areas like that. I think that's, that's sort of the setup and transition here in talking about being confident in the things that you do as an athlete, physically, emotionally, um, physiologically, kind of being very in, to, in tune with what your body is capable of, right? And being putting it in some very, very tough, you know, brutal situations as an athlete, overcoming injuries. I know there was some of that stuff that, you know, you were, you've dealt with as an athlete. You, you, you alluded to some of it. I know there's some some real work that you had to put in, uh, you know, to kind of overcome that. And every once in a while you'll get hit in the side of the head with something like that, you know, where, you know, physically you just get knocked down or there's something you're trying to accomplish and you just run kind of into roadblocks. And again, sort of a a transition here recently, you've spent time um, being or bringing awareness to the world of IVF and you've been very public about your, your story and your journey and your challenges and kind of being hit in the side of the head with some of this stuff as a, you know, as a professional who helps people all the time and is now having to go out to get help from other professionals on, on something that you don't have control over and that, you know, you might feel like you're not very good at for many. And I have a, you know, some, some personal experience, not particularly with IVF, but just in my, you know, where my, with my ex-wife and my, my daughter in a very, very traumatic pregnancy and, and, and coming out the other side and having to get there for many, this would be very private. And I haven't shared, shared my story with, but a handful of people uh, in the right situation takes a lot of trust and I have to kind of work up to it to even tell the story, but you've chosen to not only share it, but you documented it, you know, where people, and you've, you've kind of turned it around a little bit. Why are you doing this? So I, learned very quickly that infertility was something that was very hush hush. And it was something that uh, I'm a big believer in like everything happens for a reason. These signs are telling you something. And there was a week where over the course of a couple of different conversations, I learned that people that were close to me, um, you know, through the nutrition world and people that I had talked to, like Brad Jensen was one of them, um, had dealt with infertility and had to go through IVF and it was a big part of their life. And I'm like, holy shit, like, this is a big deal. Like so Mm -hmm. many people, it's actually one in eight couples deal with infertility. Um, and it was just kind of this, once I learned how many people had experienced it in my circle and had never talked about it, I was like, there's a million other people out there like me that they're brand new to this. They have no idea what's happening. They have no idea what to expect. Maybe they feel alone. Um, In my world, you know, having a social media presence, talking to hundreds of coaches a week, um, having my own coaches, having our coaches at the gym and having to show up, I, I literally didn't feel like I could hide it because I was, I was a wreck emotionally, um, you know, I, I physically didn't want to like see anyone. I was just like really pulling away. Cause I was going through all this heavy shit that I knew that no one knew about. Mm-hmm. So it kind of inspired me to, um, you know, it, it was weird because I saw that national infertility awareness week was the end of April and we were out walking the dogs one day and we had just like, I had literally just started my prime meds, like just to get going. Mm. Um, and I realized that I had to do something more. And I was like, I'm going to get Brad Jensen. I'm going to get Jimmy. I'm going to get 
like basically females perspective, males perspective and couples perspective on about IVF and about infertility and just bring awareness to it. And I'm going to share my story. And I told Justin that, and he's like, okay, like, are you sure <laughs> are, you want to go sure? tell that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you sure? Like you haven't actually experienced IVF yet. You haven't experienced the journey yet. Like sure. The years leading up to it where we dealt with infertility, I dealt with, um, but I had no idea about IVF and how it would affect me. And I was like, no, like, if you're okay with this, I want to share this. I want this to be something that people learn about and have, can have different and more conversations around it, around it when they know someone that's experiencing it, or maybe they're experiencing it themselves and they're terrified to talk about it or don't know how to talk about it to other people because people just don't get it. <laughs> the first yeah. thing people think of when they hear infertility, infertility is like, Oh, just, you know, just relax, go on vacation, yeah. get drunk, you'll get pregnant, stop trying, stop thinking about it. And that's the worst shit you can hear. <laughs> yeah. Which in a sense is the most insensitive thing you could possibly say to somebody. Um, you just shared a stat there, one in eight couples or, or people go through this and in, in their attempt to, to, in the attempt to become pregnant, that's, that is a, that is a very high percentage. And yeah. the, the fact that it isn't talked about more or particularly in this stage, you know, well, when I, when I say stage, I just mean kind of the world of, of health and fitness because we are so in tune with our bodies, but, and we are so sort of public about that, you know, like, here's what I'm right. doing in my training. Here's what I'm doing with my nutrition. I mean, you just spent a ton of time talking about all the things that we do on a daily basis. But when it comes to something like that, it does become very personal and we don't share and we don't realize and we don't know. I mean, I just alluded to you know, my own story, which people that I've worked with, trained with, employed, worked for, you know, whatever the years would have no idea they would have not. Cause right. I've just, I've just not shared. It's not something that, um, I felt was appropriate at, I mean, there, there's, when's the right time to do it, but you've taken a, an approach to this where it's on your social media, you're blogging about it, you're talking about it in your podcasts and you're asking other people to do it too, which is, well, I'm not going to use the word. We're going to, I'm going to ask you about it in a second, but it's, it's just say it's a different approach. Um, maybe you could, it's, Infertility and IVS, IVF is a very complex process. There is a lot to it. And until you're in the middle of it or know somebody who's being, you know, is, is sharing their story with you, you, you couldn't possibly know. Maybe, no. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can kind it's of, so complex. <laughs> yeah, walk us through your, your, your journey a little bit about what, what the process is really like, where kind of where you've started and, and where you are now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you said, I mean, I'll do my best. And just for anyone that's listening to this, that may be approaching an infertility treatment, everyone's mm -hmm. uh, journey is so unique that mm -hmm. it, it may not look anything like mine. And that's not bad. Uh, it's not good. And I'm not even gonna say it's like, a, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. It's nothing like your case is so individualized. So this is just my journey. Don't compare it to your protocols or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear that all the time in the infertility world that people are like, oh, well, this worked for her. Like, maybe I should try this and switch my meds up and do this. Like the slippery slope. <laughs> it's no different so, than training and nutrition. Yeah, right? it's, it's like, true. Yeah, it's no yeah. different than training and nutrition. Just because Susie yeah. down there is doing this doesn't mean it's going to work for you or it'll be the same path. Right. So, you know, yeah. 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 So basically with IVF, I mean, with assisted reproductive uh, procedures, I guess we're, we're mostly talking about like IVF, which is in vitro fertilization or IUI, which is uh, intrauterine insemination. So 
IUI, um, I, I can't say much about that. It is way less expensive, way less invasive. Um, but because of our case, that wasn't an option for us. So we went straight into IVF. Um, and basically there's a couple different phases of IVF. So there's your prime phase, uh, like priming. So like priming your body. Um, and usually for most people, it sounds really crazy, but your doctors will typically put you on birth control for that phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just to gain complete control of your hormones. And, um, because they, they base your next stage, which is your egg retrieval and like your stimulation medication off of your cycles. So they're in complete control. They know where your hormone levels are mm-hmm. and you're kind of muted too. like, they want your hormone levels relatively low going into that next phase. So you don't hyper respond to it and have like your simulation phase last anything less than like 11 or 12 days. So there's your priming phase. And for some people that can look a little different. Sometimes it's birth control. Um, sometimes it's not, sometimes there's, um, HGH actually, sometimes there's testosterone, sometimes there's, um, extra progesterone. It just really depends on your current case. Um, my priming phase for this round and the last one is way different. So I'll be able to give more feedback on that at some point, but, (laughs) um, then we roll into the stimulation phase. So they basically take, um, they, they overdose you essentially on LH and they get your body to start producing more eggs than you can ever imagine <laughs> that you'd be producing. Cause most of the time it pulls from a pool of eggs and chooses one drops it. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want each of your ovaries and your follicles to be producing basically a lot of eggs. Like you're it, overproducing. Eggs. It's like they hit the nitrous button on the, on the reproductive yeah. system. A thousand percent. Yes. Um, I mean, during that process, they say that your ovaries can get like the size of an orange. Um, mm. it's very dangerous. It's very uncomfortable. And, um, so they basically that, that phase, that stimulation phase is just, you're, you're stimulating your, your ovaries and your follicles to get the eggs. Um, and then what they do is they play a big game of, all right, that's enough. That's not quite enough. A little bit more, a little bit less, um, with all of your hormones. So you're going in almost every other day for, uh, ultrasounds and for blood work. So they're watching your estrogen levels and then making sure that you're actually not close to ovulating. And then when you become close to ovulating, they give you another shot and they say, you're not ready to ovulate yet. We need more eggs or we need your follicles to be bigger. So they'll Um, slower speed up the process. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Um, at that point, you're probably up to at least three shots a day. Um, and then when your follicles and when your ovaries and your hormone levels all kind of line up, then they have you do a trigger shot. So that trigger is typically, it again, depends on your case, but, um, it can sometimes be HCG Mm -hmm. and, um, that just basically says, okay, in 36 hours, you're going, yeah, you're going to ovulate. So then you have your scheduled egg retrieval. They go in, it's basically like a really minor surgery. They put you out, they um, go in, take the fluid out of your, your ovaries, separate the eggs and see what you have from mm-hmm. your cycle, from your stimulation phase and your egg retrieval. It's essentially um, like harvested, harvested, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. Um, and now f- from that phase, then they can tell you, okay, here's how many we got. Right. So for example, maybe it's 10 and then it goes into the phase of like, okay, 
how many are going to fertilize. Mm -hmm. So they do a procedure called ICSI where they take the male's sperm and put it under a microscope and inject it into the egg. And then they wait, see how many fertilize. So let's just say now, and each time you go through this phase, it drops the amount the, the of per, eggs. The, drop. Yeah. Right. And the percentage yeah. that your, your percentage of success continues to drop now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It goes, Obviously, right? It's like those next few days after your egg retrieval. I mean, you are pumped up on hormones and uh, you just had surgery. I was in a ton of pain afterward. Yeah. And every time the fertility clinic would call, I would just like start crying. I'm like, no, don't tell me any news. <laughs> well, you just, I, I look, I have to say you just did an amazing job and we're not even done yet, but you, you just did an amazing job of really outlining this process and kind of what, basically what the procedure is, right? What the, your, and your procedure in particular, because yeah. you alluded to that at the beginning, but so essentially, you know, from, and from layman's terms, what you're talking about doing is you're talking about pulling levers, turning dials, right. And toggling yep. switches yep. and you're, and you're doing that through drug treatment, right. Which, so it's, you're inserting things into your body that are literally changing your chemical balance yep. and you're, in a sense, overriding some systems. So you're stimulating or overstimulating some, downregulating others. And it's this constant process of, uh, okay, we're going to turn this chemical on. We're going to pull this chemical back. We're going to turn this on. We're going to, we need to make sure we're doing this. We need to make sure we're doing that. Oh, you're not ready. So there's, there's more than just that happening though. For somebody that's been an athlete and competitive and knows what it feels like to be at the top of your game. And you've also told us a story about how you know what it feels like to be sort of at the bottom too and not doing well. What's going on? Like, how is your body, aside from your, your human pincushion now, yep. right? You, you have a residence, resident parking place at the fertility clinic, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you know everybody there. You know everybody there's kids' names and what they did over the weekend and everything else. What's happening with, what's happening with mood? What's happening with you know, like your sleep, what's happening with all those biofeedback things that um, you, you were trying to control before or trying to, to toggle before or toggle things before in order to, to get a positive result from when you were, you know, through nutrition and lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And arguably the biggest struggle for me through that was how much I was forced to, um, I mean, I, I had a hard time doing the things that I always do. Right. Uh, I didn't feel like eating. I was so nauseous from all the meds. I, my calories dropped quite a bit during that time. Everything, my smell was super, I mean, it's almost like, I, like what some people struggle with in their first trimester where mm -hmm. you are just hypersensitive to smell. I had all these crazy food aversions. Um, I mean, again, like an individual thing for me, I thought it smelled like someone was smoking a cigarette, like right in front of my face and blowing it into my face all the time. Like horrible. I had this, I had this smell of like secondhand smoke in my nose for the entire like three week process. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I know. Yeah. I asked my doctor about it. She's like, I haven't heard of that before, but it doesn't surprise <laughs> me with hormones. Weirdo. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the hardest thing too was, you know, I didn't enjoy working out at that time. Right. I was, the drive I was in, is gone. Right. Yeah. I was just like, I was in pain, like my, obviously like some bloating and swelling. Um, and, and you're actually restricted because after a certain point, when your ovaries reach a certain size, they don't want you to do any high impacts because they can actually flip and right. 
Yeah. If you Torsion. don't catch that in time. Yeah. yeah Gonzo. So um, I was really, but honestly, by the time it got to that point, I didn't even care yeah. about working out. I was still getting out there and sweating and moving a little bit. Um, but it, I hated how much I disliked getting out there and working out. That was the hardest part. I was like this big mental mm. pull for me with what I felt like I had to be doing versus what I wanted to do. Cause I've never experienced not wanting to work out before. Um, and that was really hard. It, that definitely affected my mood. Um, I mean, thank goodness for Justin being so incredibly patient with me and having uh, the shots every morning made me super dizzy. Like I would immediately start sweating and just uh, feel like awful. a psycho, like a psychosomatic response before you even got the shot or this is yeah. what happened when you got the gotcha. Well, uh, so like you first, see the needle coming and you're like, Oh God, here we go. I, know. Yeah. I had to, I have to look, which is so funny. I'm not afraid of needles. I have tattoos all over me. <laughs> Never been afraid of needles in my life, but for some reason, like putting this needle in my stomach just like destroys me, <laughs> just right. like makes me uh, feel all weird. Um, so yeah, he was, he was really, he's been really patient with me. Um, mood wise, you know, it was definitely difficult. I, I feel like I've kept my space quite a bit from even my close group of friends through this entire process. Um, just because it's, it's just hard to like, I don't, you only have so much energy and so much of my energy right now goes to this process that I don't have a lot to give. Um, and that's a hard thing to say too. You know, like that's yep. my job. That's what I do. So all my energy goes to that or it goes to IVF right now. Um, so I have pulled away and had, especially that first cycle from close friends and, um, and, and things like that. And it was mostly just because my mood wasn't there. And I was like, trust me, you guys don't want to be around me. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, just kind of taking things a day at a time, because it's a, it's a slow burn. Like yeah. each time you do a dose, the next day, you're a little bit more inflamed. You're a little bit more swollen. You're a little bit crazier. <laughs> like it's a slow burn. Can you, can you, is there a way at all? And this might be totally minimizing or I, this might not even be even close to possible in terms of a compare and contrast, but at, can you compare and contrast at all to being a competitive athlete on, you know, in the center of the CrossFit stage at some of the very brutal, you know, painstaking things that you were faced with there as an athlete over time. Um, and in your experience to now, can you draw from any strengths there or experiences there that have helped you through this at all? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing that kind of correlates is just understanding that I can, I can get through anything. Mm. Um, I used to do that too, when I would get tattooed in really like sensitive places, I'm like, I can get through anything. This can like, this is going to last 10 minutes or whatever. Like same thing with workouts, like the worst workouts ever. You just know that you're, it's not going to last forever. It's not the end all be all. And while I would say that mentally it was a little bit harder to snap out of that um, because there is so much unknown with, right. with infertility and IVF that. Um, still being able to go back to that and understanding that even if I had to go through this again, this phase right now, isn't going to last forever. At some yeah. point it's going to let up and I'm going to have a little bit of a break, mm -hmm. but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was hard to kind of snap into that mindset for sure through that last cycle. Yeah. As you're where we left off, there was, is that you're moving into your second 
you you know, you're this is we're just sorry. I think we left off with they've just harvested the second for the second time. Well, so this last cycle, um, well, I guess to finish how IVF works, just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, and let's just keep it super simple and say once they go through, they do the egg retrieval. You either do a fresh transfer, which is like a couple of days later, like mm-hmm. five days, well, three or five days later, um, they let the embryos and the egg grow to like a certain size, and then it's good to transfer. So you either do a fresh, tra- fresh transfer or a frozen transfer, um, which a frozen transfer would need, you know, you do a whole nother round of meds, the progesterone, um, and then you go in and it's just a little minor procedure. And then you wait 10 days and see if it implanted. So that's kind of like in short, the kind of phases. Um, now again, there's a million different directions that IVF can go in and there's so much unknown that you might be in my situation where we had, I think they retrieved 20 eggs, which, um, I woke up and I was stoked about, like I was laying there all like groggy. She's like, she comes in, she's like, okay, so we retrieved 20 eggs. And I was like, sweet. What's the record? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're competing. You're competing. Yeah. Oh my my husband's so... like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, that's not what it's about. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I think that was probably one of the biggest, maybe rookie mistakes I had made through that cycle was thinking we had 20 eggs. We were set. Um, you know, I wasn't ever, I, we came home and I ended up getting OHSS, which is ovulation, uh, ovulatory overstimulation syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I was miserable for a solid five days. Um, and I was just thinking like, I'm so glad I don't have to do another egg retrieval this is miserable. I'm so glad like we made it that we got 20 eggs. And then, like I said, each time they call, they're like, okay, well only 13 fertilized. Mm. We're like, okay, we still got a lot of eggs. And then they call back again and they're like, okay, well now we're down to eight. Um, and then they call day five and they're like, okay, well now we're actually only down to two. And we had opted to do genetic testing because mm-hmm. they, that was just the route we wanted to go down and just know that because if you, with IVF to do genetic testing, it's not just as much about like gender selection or making sure that the chromosomes are doing mm-hmm. what they're supposed to. It's because if they're off at all, you're wasting a lot of time and yep. money to go into the transfer. Um, so we just invested the money there. We said, let's, uh, let, let's do the genetic testing. And I had, I realized in my head, I was like, holy shit there's a really good chance that neither of these eggs are going to be chromosome chromosomally normal. Like there's a good chance that we might have zero. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. Sure enough, we got the genetic testing back and they were both chromosomally abnormal. So we are just starting. Yeah. Back to square one. Square one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it is pretty normal. Um, I think the percentage for first time IVF cycles, like your first cycle to be successful is like less than 30%, Mm. which is kind of crazy, but, um, especially with how much money it costs, it's like insane to me, Mm. (laughs) but that's not more successful. I'm like, what? Like you do it. It's 2021, figure it out. But, um, (laughs) so we're, we're heading into, uh, we're doing a lot of things different this cycle, but we are starting our second stimulation phase any day now, honestly. Um, but we didn't do the 
birth control this time around. So we, and that's the other downfall is that everything's kind of up in the air because we just have to wait for my cycle to start. And right. that like after OHSS and everything, my body, we don't know. Yeah. My you don't body know. has no clue. <laughs> just kind of, is it, is, is this happening? Is it not happening? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And they don't know either. They're like, well, your blood work says that you're nowhere near it. So we just wait it out. Just I'm sit like, and okay. wait. Yeah. Yeah. T- t- tough, 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 you know, all, all the way around. I think, the question I have is, is how do you manage to keep all of this balanced? You know, how do you manage to keep the, the gym balanced, the nutrition coaching, you know, balanced? Uh, and, uh, and I want to ask about the relationship, you know, between, you know, you and Justin, how do you, how do you f- find the balance on all of those things? What do you, what do you lean on? Do you have a mantra that you keep going back to, you know, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. To all of that. I, I think the biggest, it has been, extremely healing for me to share my story. Um, because I have so many people that reach out to me and thank me for just being open and honest about it. They're like, maybe they've gone through it. Maybe they're just about to go through it. Maybe they're just struggling with infertility, but there's so many people that are so appreciative of me being open and honest. And I've found through this that actually sitting down and writing things out for me, that's actually why I started the blog part, because it would be way easier for me just to use social media and Mm. my podcast, but writing things down, I I almost felt like kind of selfish for being so open about my story because I think it helps me a lot more than I ever thought it would Um, just to share it. It's like really healing and comforting to share that and not because people are encouraging me, but because people are like, thank you. Like this has helped me so much. Uh, and that's helped a lot too. And, and just honestly being open and honest to people on my team, like my coaches and, um, all of our coaches at the gym know that we're going through stuff that needs a lot of attention with appointments and procedures and like being completely unavailable at some point. And Mm -hmm. NCI knows about everything that's, I've had to cancel a couple of calls for procedures and things like that. I, I don't know how a woman would go through and for IVF and not share with her workplace, what she's going through. I think I, I was honestly just th- don't. Yeah. I think that's what I was going to ask is you just hit all the major points there. You got work life and relationships um, or, you know, work being, you have to earn a living. The, the, the wheels, the, the world doesn't stop because you've got this going on, right? right? You know, around you and, you know, you still have relationships and you need to maintain those at some level and you want to, but you might not have the same energy. And certainly your, you know, your, your relationship with your husband is so critical here to this, this whole process. You guys have to be strong together. You hit all the things. How, what advice would you give somebody? And you just did, I think a little bit that's going through the process, um, if, if there's anything you could tell them to help them, you know, mentally prepare or make it a little bit easier on them, what would it be? I would definitely say like, you certainly don't have to share your journey or your story to the extent that I have. Um, obviously I went like way overboard with it. I've even had some people be like, I can't believe you're sharing this from square one. And I was like, you know what? I might regret it, but here I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say have, make sure you have a small circle of people, make sure your people closest to you know, um, because they care and be super clear with your boundaries. If you don't want to share every little detail, but you want someone to know that you're experiencing something, 
uh, tell them, but also set the boundaries clear and say like, you know, I don't have any updates for you and I won't, but I will be sure to tell you when I have an update with Mm. whether it's procedures or transfer or egg retrieval, who knows what that is, but just be extremely clear with your boundaries. Yeah, I get it. You, I mean, you got people that love you, right? And they care about you and they want yeah. to know that you're okay and so forth. So that's the next question is what advice would you give those people, you know, those people in your life, if you're going through this, that, you know, love you, they know they're curious because they care and they want to try to provide some kind of support or, or whatever. What advice would you give you know, friends and family? Yeah, I think the hardest thing that I have dealt with, with going through this and I mean, no one in my family has ever experienced infertility. Same with Justin's family. Um, It's just not prevalent in our families. And I think the hardest part is, is explaining the science and the process basically. So I would say if, if someone close to you is going through IVF or IUI, do a little bit of research and understand, watch a couple of YouTube videos, read a little bit about it. Um, Not so you can sit there and ask questions, but just so you're, you know what the process is that they're going through. Um, Don't make them teach you everything that they're going through because it gets, uh, it gets you, you get repetitive and it's a little redundant after time where you're like, I want to pull my hair out when someone's like, what, like in, well, not necessarily my family, but like just in general that just don't, educate on the process at all and they're like remind me what what you're doing and yeah, stuff I, like remind me about this and i'm like do a little bit of homework <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's exhausting i'm sure it's exhausting yeah. and and i and i appreciate you sharing today so that people will know this yeah you know, no i'm more forward. than happy to i didn't want yeah. it to sound that way i just meant if someone's close no, no. to you experiencing it <laughs> no, no. i'm I, like gosh I, scott i asked this for permission uh, for the <laughs> record <laughs> For the record, I asked for permission. I did, we did not just hit her in the side of the head with this. No, but uh, yeah. but again, thank you for sharing that because I think that's the big could be the single hardest, second hardest part in this process for a lot of people. And I know it was for me as a, you know, as a, and again, I'm the, the because infertility doesn't just exist in females. It, ex, it exists in males too. So whether whatever side of the fence you might be on or whether you're the, you know, the spouse in the relationship or the, the partner in the relationship, whatever it happens to be, it's hard for them too. So, you know, right. just give them their space and, you know, try to be, you know, supportive, not uh, inquisitive. Bringing up the conversation is not necessarily supportive to let right. them know that you're thinking about them. It's, you know, letting them know that, Hey, I have been thinking about you and, you know, I understand this stage is pretty tough. So I just wanted to let you know, I was thinking about you today or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I get so many, messages and people kind of coming out of the woodworks that I don't even know through social media that I just connected with that are like, Hey, my sister's going through this and just wanted to let you know, I'm thinking about you. And it's like, it's the coolest thing because you know, my, my content or my podcast and my blog, like that's being shared. And I think that I know early on in the stages when we were just learning about this, like I probably would have loved reading about that uh, for someone that's going through it and maybe knows a little bit more about it at this point than what a new person that's just going through the, the ropes with the doctors might know. Um, Cause Google can be a very right. dark hole <laughs> when you are searching right. any answers with infertility, like you will pull your hair out and want to scream. So don't right. do that for listening to this. Don't Google shit. <laughs> right. 
That's great advice. I mean, I think that's probably generally good advice on most in topics in, in most topics in life. I think uh, the the question I'm going to pose that I don't want an answer to. I'm going to give you a little plug here because I didn't notice this pop up in your in your podcast feed that you you just recently did a podcast with one of your partners in crime who I, I happen to love too. He's been very supportive of us and I love everything he's doing. That's Travis Zipper, and it's it's on the the concept of protility. And, yes. the, and, the, and the question being, what can women and men do now to prepare themselves in terms of a lifestyle change or in terms of preparation for um, outcomes specific to, you know, the, the wanted or the, the, the desired outcome specific to fertility? And I, rec- and I understand you've just done a podcast and I, this is obviously probably would not have been done had you not been going through this. So yeah. maybe a little bit about that podcast and maybe you can just kind of Tell yeah. us a little bit of, not, not, not what's in it, but, um, you know, kind of just the general overview. Yeah. Well, so Travis, um, he's obviously been super deep into functional medicine for a long time. That's his jam. Um, and he came to me when he saw my whole thing, my, my whole week of national infertility awareness week and was like, Hey, I want to do a, an infertility course And I want you to be a part of it. Like, I want you to be the spokesperson for women going through IVF, through infertility for anything. And obviously like Travis is the brains to everything. He is so incredibly smart and I feel really honored to be able to do something with him and create a program with him. But we have basically created a program, um, where we're helping couples, I mean, through a lot of different things that can be through the early stages of infertility. It can be if you are trying to get pregnant anytime soon, three to six months, it's maintaining a healthy pregnancy and then it's recovering postpartum um, because there's so much that goes into it. I mean, stuff that you would never know. And if our case was a little different and we like our only option is IVF because of our unique case, um, but had I known any of this stuff before this, I could have, even with me having the healthy foundation that I have, I could have changed up so much with my lifestyle and my diet and just my, my habits alone to increase my fertility, um, which most women just don't know about most what men don't right. know about, right? right? Like sperm and an egg actually take 90 days to even fully mature. So your, your 90 days prior to getting pregnant are everything. That's how everything is happening. Yes. Critical. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So we, yeah, we put together this course and, um, it's really, it's super extensive, so much information. It's awesome. And that podcast episode is basically, it's kind of a webinar format. So the link is in the body or in the show notes to follow along with the slides and stuff, but it's all about different things that play a role in male and female infertility. Um, because a lot of the times they say that it's the women's fault, right? right. But it's actually, they say that it's 30% uh, women, 30% men. And then the rest is actually both it's male and female infertility. Mm-hmm. That's playing a role. Uh, I can't wait to get into it and, di- and dig in. It's one of the one of the ones I haven't gotten to yet. So, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you already, you already talked about Travis. I love everything Travis is, is doing and, and has done and you guys are a great team. So I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a good one. And, uh, I got a little travel in front of me here, so it'll pop, up, pop the headphones in and listen. <laughs> um, I have one more question for you. 
uh, kind of the last major question of the day is, you know, the, your your podcast is called Be Unstoppable, and I think I've got a pretty good sense of this but um, from you, but maybe uh, what does being unstoppable mean to you, Cassidy? So being unstoppable to me kind of goes back to me saying, like, I've been so scared to do things in life. I've been scared to I was afraid to try CrossFit. I was afraid to do weightlifting. I was afraid to nutrition coach, Um, you know, all of these things that resulted in big outcomes. I was so scared to do. And um, actually the the actual quote, like be unstoppable. I have it on my wall back here and CrossFit did a little mini documentary on me after I won nationals. And that was my thing is I just kept going back and saying like, you're, you're unstoppable. You can do this. You're unstoppable. And that's kind of been my mantra that pushes me through all the scary shit in life that I keep like exposing myself to I'm like, okay, what's up next? All right. You're unstoppable. Let's go. You know, like all the, all the crazy shit. It just kind of gets me through that. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you've, you've done so much at this point in your, your life and career. And, uh, it's just no, there, there, I don't see anything stopping that. I mean, there's so much more, <laughs> more left to do. And, you know, through this process and your sharing and how many more people you can have impact on through all the different ways you're doing that. Um, I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing more of it. So Thank that you. said, yeah, of course, where, where, where do people find out more about you, Cassie, where can they go to get some information, learn a little bit about you, or maybe even work with you as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm mostly on Instagram at cassidy.dixon.fitness. Um, that's where I spend most of my time and where most of my content goes. I'm also on Facebook, Cassidy Dixon. Um, we actually have a free online group for anyone that's maybe interested in working with me or any of my coaches. And um, just DM me if you want that and I can let you in. Um, and then if you're really interested in coaching, um, our website is just about to launch, but by the time this is released, it might be launched, but it's lifeelevatednutrition.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have an application on there and maybe you can work with us. We would love awesome. to see you. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, Cassidy, this has been uh, better than I thought it, you know, like I knew it was going <laughs> to be great, but this was, this was fun for me. It was educational. I learned some things today and I just want to thank you for opening up and sharing and, you know, being vulnerable and, you know, being you and doing what you do. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on. Yep. Hopefully uh, I didn't get to see you the last time I was out in, in Salt Lake. I buzzed through the gym. We were out there for like five minutes, but uh, uh. Yeah, it is everything I thought it was going to be for <laughs> those of you that are cruising through Salt Lake. You got to go peer, at least go look through the door at Salt Lake at Salt Lake City CrossFit. It's like it's like 40 foot ceilings. It's this massive <laughs> facility. It's it's what CrossFit it's the roots. It is like everything that CrossFit um, has always been and will continue to be. Uh, it's it's an awesome spot. So go, oh, ch- go check you. them out when they're, you got it. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll uh, hope to talk to you really soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.